Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. When we think about child murders, police brutality, and coerced confessions, we don't usually think about Singapore. But you don't have to wind the clock too far back. Maybe just about 70 years to the 1950s in the Crown Colony of Singapore. Hi, I'm Teddy and welcome to A Brief Case. Today, we are looking at the unsolved rape and murder of 10-year-old Winnie Spencer. Winnie Annie Spencer was born on 25th October 1939 to James and Eleanor Spencer to a Eurasian family. So James was a clerk and Eleanor was a housewife. She was the youngest and she had two brothers and three sisters. All in all, the family had six kids. To sum it up, she was a pretty normal kid in Singapore living a pretty normal life. And it definitely wasn't like she was neglected or anything like that from what I could find. It seems like she just came from a regular family who loved her very much. Now, on 29th November 1950, her brother, Henry Spencer, even walked her to school in the morning, and she definitely seemed like she had people who loved her and took care of her. She went to a convent school, CHIJ Katong, and Henry, he was the last member of her family to see her alive. According to testimony by her classmates, school goes by normally, but after school at around 1.30pm, she left with what's described as a dark stranger. Now, one day later, on 30th June 1950, they find her body at Keppel Harbour, Labrador Park. They find Winnie lying in the sand without any underwear and a cord around her neck. So, the rape was violent. And according to her autopsy, there was rupturing in her privates and the rapist, the murderer, he hit her on her head sometime before or after the rape. We don't know when and the timeline is a bit murky, but after that, she was strangled with the cord. So Winnie had been raped and then strangled to death. She was 10 years old. So this made massive, massive news in Singapore at that time because she was so young and the police, they were under a ton of pressure to trace down her killer. So the police did narrow it down to a young Eurasian man, 25-year-old Joseph Michael Nonis. So Joseph was a friend of one of Winnie's brothers and he worked in the same office. So Joseph had definitely been to the Spencer house before, the Spencer household house. But according to Winnie's parents, they didn't really talk. And Winnie, she definitely didn't have any boyfriends, let alone any sort of relationship with Joe. Now the police, they tracked him down to his family home to arrest him. And while searching through his house, they find four newspaper articles, like newspaper cuttings of the case. So that's a little bit sus, like why are you following the case so closely? They also find a white shirt with brown markings on it. 
it's it's a bit strange if you think about it. But he could have the clippings because he's a family friend and following up with the case. And a white shirt with brown markings, it doesn't really say much. It's not like it could be definitively blood stains or whatever, but that was it. The police and the prosecutor, they took these two pieces of evidence and they arrest him. Now, in the 1950s, forensics weren't really a big thing, so a lot of it was kind of dependent on a confession. And Joseph, he signed a confession to Chief Inspector Rainey admitting to killing and raping Winnie. And the confession was so detailed, it even mentioned her last words, which were allegedly Joe, his name. So that's pretty damning, right? The trial starts on 24th October 1950 and lasts for nine days. And Joseph Nonis was represented by none other than the late David Marshall. So for a social studies refresher, we're back to school. David Marshall was a Singaporean lawyer and politician. He was Singapore's first chief minister from 1955 to 1965. And he was the founder and president of the Labour Front and then later the Workers' Parties. And he was super important to the negotiations for Singapore's independence from the UK. Because remember in the 1950s, Singapore was still under colonial rule. We were still a British crown colony. And before all of this, he was a notable criminal lawyer. And, you know, in this case, he also represented Joseph Nonis. Anyway, on to the trial. And just one more thing to take note of is that in the 1950s, Singapore's uh, courts, we were still under a jury system. So now the prosecutor and um, David Marshall, they brought a ton of people on the stand, including Winnie's schoolmates who testify, who testify that the dark-haired man that Winnie left school with was none other than Joseph. So that's extra, extra damning. So this makes sense that she would leave with somebody that her brother knew and that she's seen before. So it's not stranger danger. Then they bring in the confession. And this is the version of events according to the signed confession, okay? According to the confession, on 29th June 1950, Joseph, he actually picks up Winnie after school. Which is kind of alright, I guess, if he was doing a favour for his friend or for his like family friend. And then it gets kind of weird. He says that they go and watch a movie together at Capital, which is, it starts to be a little bit like, why are you as a 25-year-old man who is not close to this child watching a movie with a 10-year-old? Is, is it a date? And alright, so after that, they take a bus to Keppel Bay, where he supposedly asks her to give her body to him. And then she says that she loves him and they have sex. So after that, According to the confession again, he says that a dirty thought comes to his mind. He pulls the cord, I guess like the elastic, out of her underwear and strangles her. And then he left and then he went home and he prayed that she was okay. So that was the confession. So now this confession, it sounds crazy predatory. But then it's like there's no motive, you know. Like from the autopsy, the rape sounded kind of violent and the way the confession goes is consensual. Not that you could ever have consensual sex with a 10-year-old. And then why would he suddenly kill her after, you know? So David Marshall, he goes after the credibility of the confession. He goes after Chief Inspector Rainey. And now this is interesting because Chief Inspector Rainey, 
he had a history of torturing and forcing people to give quote-unquote statements. Alright, so according to David Marshall, he even said, if you do not go after this statement, you will surely hang. Which obviously the inspector denied because he's not going to be like, yes, of course, you said it. I, I definitely threatened people in my custody. So they also cross-examined someone else. Leonard, otherwise known as Ernie Pereira. So Leonard Pereira, uh, we're going to call him Ernie. He was a family friend. He was a Spencer family friend. So this guy's also extra shady. Apparently, Ernie and Joseph have this alleged conversation on the day that Winnie is killed. So this is in my own words, summarizing. So Ernie is like, Joseph, how are your girlfriends you play? Yeah? And Joe is like, I don't have a girl. And then Ernie goes, what's wrong with the Spencer girls? And then Joseph says that he will be ashamed to be seen with a girl that's so young. I mean, like, wouldn't most normal people, 25-year-old men do not date 10-year-old children? And then Ernie says, he likes Winnie. 10-year-old Winnie, best of all. And if that isn't crazy predatory, I don't know what is. And so the interesting thing is that Ernie was a suspect. He was arrested twice, but he was also let go each time. And maybe there was a good reason for his release, like he had a good alibi or whatever. But this conversation makes him out to be so shady. During the questioning, he insists that he's only ever liked Winnie in the context of like his favorite younger sister, kid of a family friend. And he also denies ever meeting either Joseph or Winnie or having this conversation on the 29th. And so finally he didn't have to because he already had a signed confession, but Joseph goes on the stand. He admitted that on the morning of the 29th, he met Ernie where they had that conversation and that Ernie wanted Joseph to go with him to the movies at the Capitol, you know, right? Like the confession. And Joseph was like, nah. So Ernie, he asked Joseph to pass on the message to Winnie. And Joe is like, why can't you do this yourself? But it turns out that he had to go out to his aunt's place, right? And But then again, you shouldn't be playing any sort of matchmaker, cupid, middleman for a mid-twenties man and a ten-year-old. But he agrees not only to pass on the message, but to bring her to meet him for their for their going out. I, I don't want to call it a date if he didn't make it to school on time at 1.30pm. So according to this version of events, that would make the schoolmate's testimony correct. Lah. Like he was the person who met Winnie after school at 1.30pm. And that's all that allegedly happened with him. He picks up Winnie and brings her to meet Ernie, Leonard Pereira, and he walks with them to the junction at Juchat, where they separate, because Ernie and Winnie take a bus to the movies. And then, and then after leaving them, he goes to eat lunch, and he finds a bunch of tailors because he wants to make pants, he wants to run his normal day-to-day -day errands. And get this, the tailors corroborate his story. He was arguing with a tailor over the price of flannel, like the fabric flannel, at 2.10pm, a time that if you follow the confession timeline, he was supposed to be with Winnie. And he doesn't just meet one tailor. No, Joseph Nonis is a man on a mission to make some pants. He meets not one, not two, 
but three other tailors. And if you're seeing three different tailors and arguing over the price of fabric at at least one of them, you don't really have the time to be dating and assaulting and murdering anyone. And he was home for dinner by 5.30pm and of course, like I'm sure his family corroborated. And being the normal guy that he is, he says that he's asleep by 11pm, which is something that we should all strive to do. So that's his version of events of what happened on that day and... There were tailors who were like, yeah, I definitely argued with him over the price of flannel on that day. Now, we're gonna go into what he says happens when he was arrested. He says that after he was arrested, he was taken to Ju Chat Police Station and then to Tanjong Baga Police Station. Now, I want to talk a bit about the inspector, Chief Inspector Rainey. Now, Chief Inspector Rainey, he actually had a reputation from the Japanese occupation. David Marshall actually brought some people on the stand who who had been tortured by him. And he's like, apparently tortured someone so badly that they full out got brain damage. And of course, with this kind of reputation, Joseph is also scared of him. Now, this is where something weird happens. So at Tanjung Paga Police Station, Inspector Rainey says that Joe can go, but he has to go back to Rainey's house after. Later that evening, Joseph goes to Chief Inspector Rainey's house. And at Rainey's house, he gives Joseph beer, glass after glass, all the while he's interrogating him. And the way that Joseph describes it, he thinks that the beer is spiked. And then after that, he's brought back to the station. When he wakes up, Rainey demands that he makes a statement, a confession, and promises him that if he makes a statement, that he won't hang. Now, this definitely brings the entire confession into question. And then finally... David Marshall, he also brings in a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist who says that only a psychopath could have written that confession and that his assessment of Joseph is that Joseph is not a psychopath. After nine days of trial, a jury of seven men, they find him not guilty. He was acquitted. So nothing actually happened to Inspector Rainey which is so crazy to think about because imagine a policeman going around coercing confessions. I would want for them to revisit all the cases that he's ever worked on just to like take a second look. But he actually retired a year after and it doesn't seem like there were any real consequences for him. Now, the most sus person in all of this is Ernie, right? Especially with the accusations that were put out against him. But... It doesn't seem like he was ever charged and I watched a documentary where eventually they interviewed him and he continues to maintain his innocence. Winnie Annie Spencer, her killer was never found. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of A Brief Case. So what do you think really happened? Drop us a DM or comment on Instagram at a briefcase podcast. You can also find us online at abriefcase.com. And do join us again next week for another brief case.